Mama always said, life is like a box of beetles. You never know what you're going to (laughs) podcast. Welcome back to Pulp Friction. It's a show about what hides us. My name is Rocky, Sam's name is Sam, and Leon's name is Leon. No, it's Uh, not. Sorry, go on. We've taken a bit of a sabbatical here. And I, for one, am disgusted. And I, for (laughs) one, am not christian well <laughs> you uh yeah we've, uh, <laughs> it's a, a, a christ-free zone uh here on the pod um we've taken uh six or seven months off to sort of uh collect ourselves <laughs> uh gate gain new wisdom uh leon uh traveled abroad <laughs> to to get some new beetles uh insight <laughs> Getting all those Japanese beetles. So all, all those new Japanese beetles, all right. Yes. Vacuuming them up. <laughs> sort of rolling them up like a Katamari style. And now we're back. <laughs> <laughs> Wiser than ever. Um, I don't to, know about uh, that one. To try and really get down and solve uh, the Beatles riddle for teens. Get down. So um, we're going we're gonna to look at some riddles for teens just to get us into the spirit here. I've been craving to. <laughs> this is the good stuff. I'm going to see if I can recall where we left off. I don't think it'll matter. Uh, we never solve any of them. It down <laughs> Let's see. If we do um, a repeat, what's the harm? Mm-hmm. No, on the same continuity of time, unfortunately, as the Beatles. So I think we'll be on the same psychic page. If there are three apples, uh-huh. and you take two. Mm-hmm. How many do you have? If I have three apples and I take two of these three apples that I already have. <laughs> yeah. How many do you have? And how many do you take? Well, I mean, if I could just generate apples like that. <laughs> if I... there are three apples, but I've only taken two of them into my possession, mm-hmm. then from a legal standpoint, it's only those two. Sure. Well, legally speaking, um, it could perhaps be argued that you haven't really acquired the apples. Hmm. So you might not have any. Or you may have many at home that you're not sharing with us. You're hiding those from the government. True. True. And from the teens. Yeah. Those hungry little you, teens. You have three apples and suddenly you have a, a, a sudden bout of amnesia. And for legal reasons, you only remember taking two. Um, so you tell the council and the court. Sorry, go on. This sounds like a math word problem, but it actually isn't. It doesn't. You... <laughs> it also it doesn't. doesn't. No. <laughs> because you take two, you now have two. Yeah. <laughs> if, if the question was how many are left, then the answer would be one. Check out more math riddles. Only the smartest can get right. Unlike this one, where the answer is two. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Riddles whose answers are two are very easy. (laughs) I feel incredibly intelligent and competent now. That's true. Two is probably the second thing you'd guess. Practically (laughs) an engineer. So this next riddle for teens. 
Hmm. I call the trees my home, yet I never go inside. And if I ever fall off the tree, I will surely be died. Dead is what it says. (laughs) (laughs) It's an acorn. It's Hmm. a man. Hmm. Yes, if you fall off the earth, you'll surely be died. But you never live inside the earth. Some people do live inside the earth. That's true. I, didn't, I forgot people, about this. For yeah, yeah. I forgot about the mole people, yeah. Also, anyone who just lives, like, in a, like, brick building. Yeah, or like a, like the basement department from Parasite. Ooh, oh, yeah. so this question is about acorn people. And parasites, yes. Yeah, and parasites. Teens will either get this right away, or be puzzled go for this one for a while. <laughs> yeah, uh, 17-year-olds will be thinking about this for years. Could it be a squirrel? It <laughs> It couldn't possibly. I think not. Could it be that's a baby a... bird? That's a man who goes inside. Absolutely not. Nope. The answer is something even more obvious once you know what it is. Oh yeah, they like saying that. Acorn man. <laughs> yeah, it's obvious once you know it. It's in as far as leaves have a home, I guess it's accurate to say that that home is. Yeah, I feel. I, I feel like I'd I'd not call the 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 tree the home of the leaves. I think leaves can go inside. They happen to be inside sometimes, but only when they've deaded. Off this of is the a, tree. a new riddle. Can they be like ingrown? Ew. Yeah, right. Could be. Two people were playing chess. And both no, they weren't. <laughs> now hold on a second. That? That's weird. You're telling me two people were playing chess? I've never seen two friends playing chess. It was a trick question. Two people were not playing chess. <laughs> two people were playing chess, and they both won. How did they it happen? Played multiple games of they chess together. Games. <laughs> <laughs> well, something you got to consider here. Hmm. Chess is cool again, thanks to the popularity of the Netflix show The Queen's Gambit. We did do this one! <laughs> we did do this one, it's true. But... <laughs> let's, let's... <laughs> let's do it again. Let's entertain Let's entertain, again, let's entertain let's it, it and then we'll do a couple new ones. Chess is cool again, thanks to the popularity of the Netflix show The Queen's Bandit. Gambit. <laughs> you know, <laughs> The Queen's Bandit. Chess is cool again, thanks to the Netflix show The Queen's Bandit. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, uh, kidnapping is cool again. So teens might appreciate this riddle. <laughs> they might. The same way <laughs> they appreciate chess. That's important to know, though. We need to know what kind of riddles teens appreciate. We need yeah. to make a Netflix show about riddles so that riddles can be cool for teens. We need to make a Netflix show about the Beatles, like Peter Jackson did on HBO Max, and that way teens will get interested. Wait, he did? He did the uh, documentary, the Get Back. The what? Get back. get back. The Beatles, the throw Beatles it back? get back. <laughs> the Beatles throw it back. Directed by Peter Jackson. I don't like, even know if this is a joke. <laughs> I no, hate no. these men. This, this, this occurred. <laughs> like a game of chess, this riddle challenges you to think of possibilities you previously hadn't considered. <laughs> That's not what it does. The possibility <laughs> that I hadn't even considered before is that Peter, what's his name, did not in fact produce a Beatles documentary. The possibility you hadn't considered is that two people were playing chess. <laughs> in this case, the answer lies in the information that isn't there. 
Namely, that- that's the answer. That's how riddles work. <laughs> Two people were playing against. They're playing against other opponents. Oh God. Chess is also one of the genius brain boosters for kids you can do together. <laughs> oh, what? And that doesn't, you would think that that is like an SEO, like to another article. It isn't. It's it's just totally on its own. <laughs> uh, Did you know that chess makes children smart? Uh, we've been prattling the same bullshit about child prodigies since, since, since 100 years ago. Fantastic. So uh, let's do a couple more since we already did those. Yeah, I'd love some more. A cowboy rode into town on Friday. (laughs) No, he didn't. (laughs) I don't believe you. Stop that. You've correctly answered the trick question. He stayed in town for three days and then rode out on Friday. How is it possible? His horse is named Friday. Not the fucking horse named Friday. His horse is named Friday. Riddles love to play with naming characters after days of the week to throw you off track. Do they say this, or do, are you saying this? <laughs> this is what it, they say. <laughs> I, think I love it's to know what Riddles love. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe oh the Beatles. God. Maybe the Beatles Riddle does that too. We'll have to consider that. Do the Beatles ever name somebody after a day of the week? Well, if they if they mention a day of the week, we need to consider that they might be talking about a person. Yeah. Like oh, I don't know, did the Beatles ever ever do something like a little, you know, goodbye Ruby to did they ever do one of those? Like Yeah, they might have. Um I don't know. maybe nine eleven was a person. We'll come back to that. Um oh. <laughs> they, recorded it, they recorded it on nine eleven. Uh so once Ooh. your team catches once your team catches wise to this, it'll give them another strategy for figuring out any riddle that includes days of the week. <laughs> what? So once your team catches lies to the fact that Riddles love to name characters after days of the week, it'll be sort of a new strategy <laughs> they can apply to Riddles down the road. Once your child knows that they should stay still in quicksand, they'll know to <laughs> how to how to get out of all those quicksand pits they'll be falling in. Yeah, they'll know to get out of the next one. I'm sorry, I don't think I've heard this Horse Friday joke since i was like literally maybe seven years old i think i have a hatred in my heart for the people who write these oh don't we all what eight letter word (laughs) remains a word as you keep removing one letter from what so yeah this one kind of isn't really a riddle because it's just there are a lot of answers (laughs) to it it's just sort of think of one just think of an eight letter word that remains a word as you keep removing your letter from it b-e-a-t-l-e-s no um <laughs> let's see john paul <laughs> john... Oh, yeah okay here we go john paul becomes <laughs> john paul without an h and raccoons. then raccoons <laughs> raccoons <laughs> raccoon R A C C Racken. Yeah. Akin. Akin. Akko, the city. Akko. Uh, Ak and A. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. This is one of the hardest riddles for teens. <laughs> <laughs> with, with all the words in the dictionary. It's it just like be a difficult. nine on the Moe's riddles scale. 
on the riddles for teens scale. It can be difficult with Beatles being 10. It can be difficult to stumble across the one that works. But once you know the answer, it's really cool to see how it works. Starting turns to staring, then string, sting, sing, sin, in, and I. I mean, okay. I mean, okay. An, an example of a word that does that. For more, try these word puzzles that'll leave you stumped. Not today. Uh, but we will do <laughs> we will do another riddle for teens before we get into it. Awesome. Can we do the word puzzles and then just have like ten minutes of silence after each one because we're trying to solve it? <laughs> I think that'd be a really good podcast. That would be a good podcast. Maybe next time. It has four fingers and a thumb, but it isn't alive. What is it? <laughs> a dead man. A dead guy? That's that's what I thought of, too. I'm usually thinking... No, I shouldn't say that, actually. Anime figurines. Anime figurines is a good answer, although they often have four fingers. No, they don't. (laughs) You're thinking of a bard. I'm thinking of bards, yeah. You're thinking of an anime figurine of Bart Simpson. Yeah, yeah. I, I I am, too, so I can't blame you. Yeah, I would buy that and put it on a shelf. Like the 13 hearts question that we all remember, this riddle plays with body parts and inanimate objects. Ugh! The what (laughs) question? 13 hearts? You remember the 13 hearts question. Uh, no, but I won't question it. Your team may be thinking about biology class. Maybe. (laughs) It's a good thing to know. We need to think about what the teens are thinking about. And may even guess that the answer is a dead body. Which wouldn't totally be wrong. <laughs> what? I would just say it's not wrong. I would just say yeah, that is a correct answer. But the intended answer has to do more with thinking outside the box. Or in this case, outside, outside the, the glove. Oh. Oh, I was, thought I was going to say outside the cadaver or coffin or something. Outside the glove. The answer is a glove. Oh, well, <laughs> which, shit. Which is not really... Outside the glove, I don't no. think. That's just is is the glove. Thinking in terms of the glove. Thinking about glove. Thinking about glove. Let's talk about the Beatles. Must we? <laughs> we can do another riddle if you want. Can we just do riddles for another hour? <laughs> we got Beatles to talk about. We'll do one more riddle <laughs> since we so don't want to talk about the Beatles. Tom is younger than Dave, but older than Jill. Lou is older than Sally, who is older than Tom. Dave is older than Lou. Who is the middle child? (laughs) Oh my god. Okay, let's talk about the Beatles, please. Never mind, let's go for the Beatles. Alright, let's talk about the Beatles. We're not even going to read that one. So, uh, we have our clues from previous episodes, just to set the scene here, get us back into the mood. Uh, Our first clue... Quarry men, old before our birth, straining each muscle and sinew. Yeah. That's been sort of our guiding light throughout all this. Um, on the second episode, we sort of talked about their mysterious whereabouts on 9-11-62. On the uh, third episode, we sort of hit on how a lot of songs on their first album talked about You'll Never Know How Much I Love You. Um, and then our fourth clue that we decided on is that they killed JFK. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> wow, that was that, that was, was what we landed on there, and that that's a good clue, I think, in terms of getting us close to the 
the answer to the riddle. We're we're hot on their tail. But I think this week we're gonna we're we're gonna be talking about their second album with the Beatles, which was released the same day that they killed JFK. <laughs> and I'm hoping that um we can sort of uncover maybe how they killed him, why they killed him, any sort of confession or guilt or anything within these lyrics on this second album. Uh-huh. So um, a, a bit of a bit of history before we get into it. November twenty second, nineteen sixty three, the same day that the Beatles killed JFK and preempted their own U.S. crossover in doing so, they released their second studio album with the Beatles. Yes. Typically, in the 60s and 70s, bands on major record labels were expected to release more than one album each year, which is why they uh, returned to EMI Studios to record their second album just four months after Please Please Me came out. Uh Uh-huh. Where that album was mostly recorded in a day, With the Beatles was recorded over seven sessions across three months. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Last time we covered the uh, circumstances around... This album's recording the stuff that was sort of building up to it. The Beatles were, you know, getting bigger and bigger. They, you know, Beatlemania spreading across Great Britain. It's even in sedate Cheltenham, we said. While the U.S. looked at Beatlemania as an amusing curiosity, and some in the British press were comparing it to the Nuremberg rallies, the band's pop success did come with a degree of institutional respect. Mm-hmm. Writer William Mann with The Times named McCartney Lennon, quote, the outstanding English composers of 1963, claiming their style was the first distinctly British popular music phenomenon since the demise of the music hall. What? Yeah. (laughs) I don't know if they're like, I mean, there are a bunch of covers of like, you know, Shirelle's songs and shit on that first album. I don't know if I'd say they're distinctly British. No, that's... Yeah, they spent the whole of their early careers trying really hard to be so very American. Yeah. It feels almost like this was a veiled insult leveled at them by this reviewer. Yeah, it's it's, it's really mean. Um, but his writings on that album were taken literally. They paved the way for critical analysis of the band's work to come, which I guess is what we're doing here, technically. Yeah. Emphasis on critical. Just days before this album's release, the Beatles performed for the Queen Mother and Princess Margaret. Oh my god, what is wrong with the English? (laughs) What is wrong with them, indeed? Queen Mother? Here's a quote from John (laughs) Lennon about it. (laughs) We managed to refuse all sorts of things that people don't know about. We did the Royal Variety Show, and we were asked directly to do it every year after that, but we we always said, stuff it. So every year there was... Every year there was a story in the newspapers, why no Beatles for the Queen? Which was pretty funny because they didn't know we'd refused. That shows a bad gig anyway. Everybody's very nervous and uptight and nobody performs well. The time we did do it, I cracked a joke on stage. I was fantastically nervous, but I wanted something to say something to rebel a bit. And that was the best I could do. He doesn't even tell us what the joke is. <laughs> Not I, in that quote, no. It was like... I um, believe this must be linked to the riddles for teams, anyway. It must be linked to the riddle, yeah. he. Uh, I think conscience. Jo- I think he asked the people in the cheap seats to clap their hands and the people in the higher-up seats to, like, shake their jewelry. <laughs> That's pretty good, actually. It's not bad. Um, the first couple of the recording sessions for this album were all covers. They had kind of run out of original songs. They had any? <laughs> they, they, they did the, the couple that they had on the first album and were sort of trying to write new ones uh, in the process. Still, by all accounts, these sessions went by with much fewer major hitches than the previous one 
uh, EMI installed four track recording equipment while they were like during these sessions, but this album was all on two track and the first four track single I want to hold your hand came out later. At the time of the album's release, the Beatles' first album, Please Please Me, was still at the top of the UK album charts. Damn. Yeah, and then with the Beatles took over and stayed there for 21 additional weeks. That's 21 too many. Yeah, they just sort of had a whole year on <laughs> at number one. You have really succeeded is the thing that like I sometimes have to remind myself <laughs> is how <laughs> fucking much everyone just loved them. Yeah. Like instantly. It's a it's a bizarre thing. And then, you know, next time we're gonna get into sort of how they how they came about in America, but it really is a similar thing where like someone heard them and were like, These guys are great and then they just sort of blew up within a couple weeks. Damn. The sleeve notes for this album included the phrase fabulous foursome, which was quickly picked up by the media as Fab Four. Yeah, that is better than fabulous foursome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like by a pretty know. wide margin, I would say. <laughs> they could be the fabulous foursome. They shouldn't. That sounds shouldn't. like a horrible Duke's name. Uh, the cover art for this album uh, with the Beatles was done by Robert Freeman, who was known for his uh, black and white photos of John Coltrane. It's sort of this, you know, the four of them kind of, uh, the, you know, their faces half in shadow. The the quote from George is that while well, the first album cover was, quote, crap, with the Beatles was, quote, the beginning of us being actively involved in the Beatles artwork. The first one where we thought, hey, let's get artistic. It's it's so much classier than those boys had any right to be, is the it's thing true. about that. It classes them up quite a bit. Um, it really does. And we'll we'll see if the, the album holds up to, to the cover. I sort of don't think it will. Yeah, I think not. Freeman put Ringo in the bottom right to fit the square format of the color cover, noting that he was the last to join the group and also the shortest. Um, also the squarest. In many ways, yeah. Yeah. The initial plan was for the for the art to take up the entire front of the record, just edge to edge, uh, with no title or artist credit, and EMI was immediately like, no. <laughs> um, what if the it? original plan was for Ringo to take over the entire cover edge to edge? <laughs> Just Ringo. No room for anything else. Um, the first Edge to Edge album cover turned out to be the Rolling Stones self-titled album five months later. Could have been Ringo. That's all Could have been Ringo. It could have been Ringo. EMI also objected to the fact that the Beatles were not smiling on the cover. <laughs> I mean, I would too. Yeah, I, I, no. they, should, they should smile more. I, I agree. I mean, if they want to fit the uh, tone of their original music, I think, a more somber sort of, you know, expression. True, true. Uh, and the photographer, Robert Freeman, was paid £75 for his work. Sad. Yeah, I think I think uh, adjusted for inflation, that's like a medium price, but still, you know, for it being a Beatles album, it's a little like... Because yeah, they were already on top, so like, I don't know. They were, yeah. And um, we, we're going to go ahead and listen to the tracks off of this album, starting with awesome. the first song, uh, It Won't Be Long. Okay. There's a lot familiar there. There is. Uh, we got the Yaz. The, we got the uh, Yaz back. And the Yaz, and also the Yaz. The, yeah. The Yaz. Yeah, 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 Yaz. I, for one, thought that was rather good. I uh, didn't hate it. Yeah. <laughs> there there I, are, you know... I think I fall on the lower spectrum of approval. I, I think that's uh, often said about this song, pointed out, is that the Beatles, you know... 
didn't know anything about music. And so there are a lot of chords in here that shouldn't be there. Oh, yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. It is bad. But Mm -hmm. if you get past that. There's, There's things I like. It feels, you know, bigger than I feel like anything on the first album did. It's just a little more full. Yeah, this song, uh, John Lennon claims that he wrote it, and Paul says he, that Lennon mostly wrote it, but they kind of collaborated in, in, in his estimation. Lyrics-wise, there's there's not too much. Um, I guess I, I guess I kind of like how, like, it, 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 you know, starts out as just, just a song with, you know, its own concept, and then it sort of becomes a narrative when at the end it's like, you know, uh, she, you know, she's coming home. Um, I don't know. It's it's not Christmas. great, but she's coming home for Christmas. Uh, I like the, the first verse here feels worth touching on. Every night when everybody has fun, here am I sitting all on my own. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, the the rhyme is bad. Yeah, and the here am I, <laughs> which is just not necessary. <laughs> bit biblical. It's very yeah. sort of riddle syntax. Yeah, you know, every night when everybody has fun. <laughs> yeah, hold on. Who every am night I? when everybody. Yeah, every night when everybody has fun. <laughs> here am I, sitting all on my own. Who am I? <laughs> Let's see who's sitting on their own while everybody has fun every night. Santa Claus. Ringo Santa Claus. on the cover. <laughs> Ringo on the cover, sitting on his own. <laughs> Our short king. Um, tears come down from my eyes. Every day I've done nothing but cry. Every day we'll be happy, I know. Who am I? Now I... <laughs> yeah, who am I? It feels like they're getting definitely leaning even more into uh, the riddles here. I think the, there's some there's some fun harmonies on this. I guess some of the back backup vocals. I was like, yeah, that's 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 cool. How they're doing something different. Yeah, 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 yeah. They yeah. It feels like we're you know finding <laughs> we're searching for positivity uh, in, in this song that um, is is not horrible, but uh, still. You know, there's there's a lot of sort of amateur <laughs> stuff coming off it. At one point, this was supposed to be a single, but ultimately, it was never released as a single and never performed live. Yeah. Thank God. <laughs> yeah. All right, the next song is called All I've Got to Do. All right. Well, well, I feel pretty similarly about this one, that there are, you know, improvements. Um, <laughs> it's, you know got you know like the vibe is a little stronger the instrumentals are a little stronger the harmonies once again um the vocal performance from i think john is the is taking the lead on this one right yeah, yeah I, I, think so. I figured out why ringo is in the corner because this i don't know about like the slappy kind of lurchy style he's going for um sure the the sparse cymbal hits like between the two and the three is I think it has like some kind of a momentum, but uh, not They're... really a specific one. So yeah, they want to be playful a little bit, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know about playful. I think he's just like struggling. Um, but that's my. They want to be strangled a little bit, maybe. <laughs> they want to be strangled a little bit. This uh, it... this song uh, was recorded in fourteen takes. Fourteen. <laughs> And this is the one they use. 
God damn. <laughs> okay, so struggling is correct. Struggling is 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 the vibe, yeah. <laughs> I well, it does add a sort of a complex emotional labor to the um the the bright uh singing, so I I'll give them points on that. Whenever I wanted whenever I want you around, all I got to do is call you on the phone and running home. That's all I got to do. Sort of a sort of a hotline bling kind of narrative here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I want to kiss you, all I got to do is whisper in your ear the words you long to hear, and I'll be kissing you. Now, hold on. <laughs> Whenever I want to kiss you, I just have to whisper in your ear, and the and then I'll be kissing, and then I'll be kissing you. <laughs> yeah. I guess well, that makes sense. I guess, and the same goes for me. Yeah, and the same goes for the speaker. Yeah, whatever you want me at all, I'll be here. Whenever you call, you just got to call on me. That's about it. Uh, John says that he was trying to, uh, quote, trying to do Smokey Robinson. Yes, it shows. I was actually, my thought was like, this sounds a little bit Motown. Yeah, there's there's a lot of uh, Motown stuff running through this album, a couple covers and, you know, things. That's what they're going for. Uh, Another little thing to note here is that um, Lennon says that he wrote the song with the American market in mind because the idea of teens having their own phones was not really a thing in the UK. Oh, really? Yeah. Like the idea that you would just, you know, you know, a teen wouldn't think like, oh, let me, let me go call someone right now. Yeah. (laughs) hmm. What I'm hearing is that this was a shameless marketing ploy. A shameless marketing ploy for the American teens specifically. Yeah. So a riddle for American teens specifically. Yeah. It How feels like, you know, of JFK. Hmm. That's right. Let's see if there's if there's a way to sort of whenever I want you around, all I gotta do is call you on the phone. When I wanna kiss you, same goes for me. I don't think we can read too much JFK into this. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> JFK was known for kissing, I think. All I've got to do He was that's true. He was a big he was a kissy boy. Uh all <laughs> I gotta do is whisper all I gotta do is whisper in your ear, sort of a sort of an MK Ultra thing, perhaps. Maybe. Let's let's keep that sleeper agent status question mark. Sleeper agent. Let's keep all that in mind as we move on to all loving third track. Okay. Yeah, that one that one feels uh uh, unsure of itself. Yeah, a little bit. I'm once again hearing a lot of Motown. Yeah, well, there's there's that there's that sort of the, the like walking bass that George is doing, but then I'm not yeah. I'm not as confident in what in what Ringo's doing. I I think the um the guitar the main guitar thing is actually taken from um uh, to do Ron Ron, so it's like a you know the, the, that was yeah. just something that was big at the time. But um, I was about to say that was like the most kind of coherent any solo guitar part has sounded for the Beatles for me. I like the chorus, I guess. The, oh, my loving. That's sort of a good thing. There's a... Yeah. Ringo <laughs> seems to do well when he's playing on all of the beats and then some. Yeah, he's doing a lot on this one. I did notice that. <laughs> he is just sort of like, <laughs> just anywhere he can, he can get one in. <laughs> Ringo Starr invented the trap beat. Paul says that this was one of the first songs where he wrote the lyrics first and then came up with the melody rather than, you know, doing them in tandem, kind of. Um, he said that he thought of the lyrics while shaving. However, 
he then later claimed that he wrote them on the tour bus and then laid the melody backstage when he reached the venue. So what? <laughs> another case of uh, not getting the story straight. Very not straight. Like a crooked razor. You're either shaving or touring. It's either one or the other. Close your eyes and I'll kiss you. Tomorrow I'll miss you. Remember I'll always be true. And then while I'm away, I'll write home day. Send all my loving to you. I'll pretend that I'm kissing the lips I'm missing. And hope that my dreams will come true. <laughs> Uh, there's a lot of kissing once again a lot of kissing um this one is sort of in that ps i love you like uh writing a letter sort of thing but uh pretend that i'm kissing the lips i'm missing (laughs) hope that my dreams will come true is just (laughs) but then what are those dreams is this you know something we can apply to 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 them killing jfk where you know they're i think we could their dreams for like for american society for american teens teens they're sort of hoping they'll come true and pretending that they're kissing you know this is like this is like they're you know in america maybe for the first time <laughs> killing jfk and just <laughs> uh, this is sort of about the operative experience yeah tomorrow i'll miss you right home every day yeah i think i think we're getting somewhere there i can't help but to think of the uh riddles for teens explained Mm -hmm. answers where always there is a a misleading uh obvious choice and then the uh secret second choice Mm. um, which is always so difficult to discern uh Mm. there might be something else going on that we're missing like these lips ah ah these lips are going on The, the lips i'm missing so they're there may be a set of lips that we need to think about here. Hmm. Jackie. Jackie. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> so, so if they're writing two, J- so is this then tomorrow I'll miss you? Is this like meant to be JFK writing the day before he is going to be killed by the Beatles? Or is this perhaps a lustful love poem? From the Beatles to Jackie. To Jackie. Hmm. Or perhaps to John F. (gasps) And look at this. It won't be long. All I've got to do. All my loving. Maybe these these titles are maybe telling us telling us about this. Yeah. They're explaining their MO in this sick fashion. This is their manifesto. Yeah. McCartney initially conceived of this song as a country track. How? How does he think he can conceive I of a country track ever? Would love for the Beatles to conceive country someday. Conceive some country, why don't you? Yeah. God. Classic country conception. A fun thing with this one is that it wasn't released as a single in the US or the UK, but it sort of picked up a lot of play anyway. Uh, EMI ended up packaging it as like an EP with this as the title track and then the Canadian single got imported to the US so much that it reached number 45 on the Hot 100 just from that. What? <laughs> People fucking love this one. Yeah, it 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 was a, a big hit of its time, although, you know, this album before Beatlemania crossed over and it was, you know, this big moment, so there's an extent to which it could have been anything, but yeah, apparently people have feelings for this one and you know like we said at the beginning there are things that work about this one that maybe don't work about uh the other ones <laughs> uh the next one is called don't bother me okay 
I don't hate that one. Surprising. I kind of do. <laughs> well, the element that I find in particular is this, like, desperation. Mm-hmm. This, this, this song feels sort of like the image of the Beatles that we've sort of, like, like all this reading this history, the idea of who the Beatles are is more like this song than any of the other songs we've heard. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. Sort of misanthropic and, uh, and, uh, evil. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll say it. I'll <laughs> crucify you for saying involved. it. Yeah, this one, uh, if we think about this in the context of them, you know, going to America to kill JFK, uh, yeah. uh, uh potentially out of a, out of a lust for Jackie, um, I want no one to talk to me. It's not the same. We can see this sort of isolation, this like, uh, again, this sort of misanthropic attitude developed that you can see someone who's, you know, plotting a, plotting an assassination might, <laughs> might feel this way. Uh, significant thing to note about this song. This was the first Beatles song to be written by George Harrison. Really? Yeah. So this is not a, uh, John and Paul track. Cause this is a real dark side kind of a song. Yeah. I don't know. Definitely. Uh, is anybody else seeing that? And it doesn't feel extremely plagiarized for once, uh, which is what made it nice for me. Yeah, it, it does sort of have a, a unique perspective and uh, a style. It, it feels, you know, like a style of its own. I agree. It's honest for a bunch of criminals. For a bunch of lowlifes, yeah. In in August of 1963, the Beatles had a one-week residency in Bournemouth, England, alongside Billy J. Kramer and the Dakotas and Tommy Quickly. Tommy Quickly? Tommy Quickly. Uh, during this residency, George fell ill. He was prescribed tonic and bed rest by a doctor, sort, sort, of, sort of like Sam. <laughs> yeah. Classic British I'm suffering pilot. food poisoning for the listeners at home. Yeah, you've uh, fallen ill. Uh, and while resting, with nothing to do, at a fancy hotel, uh, he started writing. George later said... Isn't this what happened in Germany? And then they abandoned him or something? Uh, no, there was... The story was uh, one old... There, Yeah, there was like... Yeah, when they left Germany, there was someone who was stuck over there at the time, and they had to go back for them. But there was also someone who was in the band at the time when they left Germany, and then by the time they came back, he was dead. <laughs> oh. which which wasn't George obviously uh, but this was in England in 1963 when they were already popping um, George later said quote I don't think it's a particularly good song it mightn't be a song at all <laughs> but at least it showed I don't know about that. at least it showed me that all I needed to do was keep on writing and maybe eventually I would write something good <laughs> This this is indeed a song written by someone with low self-esteem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God damn. God damn. I feel a lot of pity for George now, actually. Honestly, and here's what Paul had to say. He wrote Don't Bother Me. That was the first one, and he improved from that and became very good. <laughs> God. His first song, Don't Bother Me. Oh, his second song, You Can Bother Me a Little Bit, and his third song, I Don't Mind If You Bother Me. Right, that's what Paul likes it's to all hear. Right. Um, yeah, I, I definitely feel that pity. Um, it was sort of, you know, he's like, oh, it wasn't very good. And then everyone else is like, yeah, it wasn't very good. 
God, it's cruel. It's cruel it, of it them. Is. It's not poor Georgie. It's not worse than the other song. <laughs> sure, Porgy. An attempt to record this song was made on September 11th, 1963. <laughs> what? But it had to be re-recorded the next day. <laughs> Why? <laughs> we'll never know. Just another mysterious circumstance on September 11th. God. Which, which again, could be the name of a person, we have to remember, with these riddles. It could be. <laughs> it could be. Yeah, I could explain why it uh, keeps coming up. I looked it up, that was a Tuesday, September 11th of 1960, whatever it was. So yeah, the lyrics here, uh, since she's been gone, I want no one to talk. It's not the same, but I'm to blame. It's plain to see. So go away, leave me alone, don't bother me. I can't believe that you would leave me on my own. It's just not right when every night I'm all alone. I've just got no time for you right now. Don't bother me. Damn. My bad, sorry, it was a Wednesday. Pretty bleak, this one. It's not a song that you would just like listen to recreationally, but (laughs) it's interesting. I think it has. I wouldn't. It has purposeful craftsmanship, and I can appreciate that. I agree. Yeah. The next song is called "Little Child." Oh no! Uh oh. (laughs) Well. For many reasons. <laughs> the uh, top comment on this video is FBI has entered the chat. I'm going to throw out one more thing. Why Why do they do that little, like, I don't know. They're doing this like, <laughs> I'm so sad. Yeah. Yeah, What's that about? That's exactly it. God damn. <laughs> I feel like we almost need to like go back and like up our scores for the first three songs on this album. <laughs> yeah. Um th- this is <laughs> this is classic stuff. Shocking and a, a just disheartening new low for the Beatles. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's never been this bad. <laughs> the, the harmonica solo. <laughs> oh, when the harmonica kicked in, I knew we were in for a terrible time. <laughs> yeah, just a real sort of a, sort of a a, a carnival. A real of a song. Yeah, a real carnival uh, uh, cruise. Uh, real reprehensible. The the line of the second verse, "Don't you run and hide," is pretty bad. <laughs> oh God, no, 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 no! Just fucking Joker music. McCartney described the song as "quote album filler." <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. True enough. Could have done better. It was originally written for Ringo to sing, but was ultimately recorded by John and Paul. I guess Ringo declined for some reason. (laughs) I think maybe they wrote a funny prank song for Ringo. They're like, well, we need album fillers. Yeah, they ran out of songs and they were like, man, I guess we got to do this. Ringo got wise on him. Yeah. Once again, this song was un- unsuccessfully recorded on September 11th. <laughs> what happened? 
what is this? Another mystery. <laughs> they recorded two takes that day, 16 takes the next day, and then Jesus. three more takes on October okay. 3rd, but were never fully satisfied with the result. <laughs> What? It's because the <laughs> fucking song just doing? just drop it, guys. Just leave it. And with all that time, they could have written another song. <laughs> what are they doing? I mean, it's a the the song is on, like under two minutes, so it would have taken them maybe like half an hour out of their lives. Um, True. So maybe not if that they, that much loss. They could have just fully improvised something. Like now, what is? <laughs> what does this mean <laughs> for our riddle? I, I think, you know, perhaps we'd rather ignore it. But <laughs> I think it's packed with meaning. If you want I to. just wish that it, they didn't do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's uh, stuff here to keep in mind <laughs> as, we ex- yeah. as we explore the rest of this record. Um, Bear in mind. This was called Till There Was You. Well, that was quite lovely, actually. Yes, it was. This song was written by Meredith Wilson. It is a cover. Oh, God. It is a cover. I can fucking do it. it. Yeah. <laughs> you can just tell sometimes. I do like the way he says, Saw. I never saw them Sor. winging. Yeah. It's a silly song in the way that they do it. Mm-hmm. I, like, um, I like the little guitar, though. It's, it's nice. Yeah. The, okay. the, the singing is nice. I think. I think he just should have recorded a Christmas album. Yeah, it is sort of Christmas. Actually, a popular version of this song was released by Anita Bryant in 1950, um, with the B-side being Little George, parentheses, Got the Hiccups. Oh, God. I want to hear that one. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Could that be about George's illness? Oh, Little George Got the Hiccups. Yeah. Paul was introduced to this song by the 1961 uh, Peggy Lee cover that a cousin showed him. He didn't know it was from The Music Man until, like, after (laughs) this version came out. God damn. And the Beatles would perform this song in Hamburg before they started recording. And it was part of their unsuccessful audition for Decca Records in 62. Well, they sure showed them. They sure showed them with this uh, pretty enjoyable track. That someone else wrote. (laughs) That someone else wrote. Meredith Wilson's widow says that the estate received more in royalties from the Beatles than they did from the Music Man. That's a little sad. Yeah, but um, yeah, pleasant little song. Bells on a hill, never heard them ringing. Birds in the sky, never saw them winging. Soar them. Soar them winging. Soar them. Soar Soar them. Soar them soaring. Yeah, I'm wondering, you know, for our riddle, if there's uh, if there's anything to be brought from here. But we should, you know, pick up our pace through these. So let's. uh, Move on to the next track. I don't know if you've heard it. It's called Please Mr. Postman. Oh, are you kidding? <laughs> hmm. Not not a particularly uh, <laughs> strong cover. <laughs> I don't yeah. think. It's a very like decent yeah, kind it, of okay cover. It feels like everything I like about it is just what's sort of preternaturally great about the uh, original song. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know they covered it. They did cover it, uh, pretty pretty swaglessly, in my opinion. <laughs> just sort of, yeah, without much this cool factor. Very funny, considering the comments that I was reading uh, regarding the uh, sexual nature of John's voice, which was, I mean, if you want to see true delusion, then please look at the comments of a Beatles video. The way they beetled them. The way they beetled them. 
The way they beetled my boy. The story of this song, in April 1961, the Marvelettes arranged an audition for Barry Gordy's label Tamla, later Motown. Uh, Please, Mr. Postman was an original song written by the Marvelettes' Georgia Dobbins and her friend William Garrett for their audition. Dobbins left the group shortly after the audition, and then Barry Gordy hired the group, hired the like replacement for Georgia Dobbins, and asked two like pro songwriters, Brian Holland and Robert Bateman, to retool the song with the help of an actual postman friend of theirs <laughs> for that authenticity. Oh, what? <laughs> I hired a, a a research consultant for Mr. Postman. Sensitivity reader? Please Mr. Postman was a number one hit for the Marvelettes and the first number one record by Motown. It was later also a number one hit for the Carpenters in 1975, and its tune was a number four hit for Portugal the Man in 2017. When the song hit number one in the U.S., the Beatles were big fans of girl groups. Uh, They quickly added it to their repertoire. At the time, it was not very well known in the U.K., so, you know, it became part of the the Beatles catalog over there um, when they started performing it in concert. The Beatles manager also did lowball Barry Gordy for the rights to release the cover. Um, uh, one and a half cents per copy instead of the standard two cents. Good God. Classic Beatles crime. Classic Beatles conniving, yeah. My own allegiances to the, the Memphis Stacks school of soul music does not make me as mad as I could be about Barry Gordy being ripped off, but sure. I'm still mad. Well, I, I think in terms of our in terms of, you know, our thoughts on what this album means. You know, we had the earlier song, the second track that was about, you know, uh, sending all, all my loving in a letter. This one is sort of from the perspective of when will she send all of her loving in a letter? And so if this if this is about Jackie O, uh, <laughs> we, can, we can sort of see this, this duality there, or if this is just the inverse perspective of of what they were saying in the second track. I mean, mm. mystery to me here is that the, Beatles' early career, uh, clearly they're prolific criminals, but it seems mostly relegated to, like, petty theft and mm-hmm. things of that nature. So how they could have pulled off the assassination is, um, I think, the question. That's true. Maybe all these references to mail are hints towards how they did it. Well, they... Huh? Like, like... Oh, like with the delivery of gun as postal system <laughs> could be I, I i'm just wondering if there's this album has the clues to how they pulled it off being such petty criminals up to that point the the gun yeah. is the envelope the bullet mm. is the mail and the shooter is the postman please ignore that mm. sending all my loving in the mail you know the, the, mail. the loving is bullets goes in the mail john it's f bullets. kennedy <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. There's something. There's something here. Yeah, but I think we're also seeing how you know it's sort of a classic thing that happens where you know if, if a band is like partially known for doing covers or samples or something, they get bigger, and then they're like, let's just get these like super big songs, and you know, uh, uh, do covers or samples of those, and, and then that'll be like an even more hype thing. It's like Nicki Minaj, you know, taking Super Freak and 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 doing a sample cover of that. Uh, anyway, the next song is Roll Over Beethoven. <laughs> Ooh-wee. Yeah. Yet another tagless really... white boy performance. Thank you, Mr. Yeah, Hitler. they really choked their way through that one. <laughs> they were not, they were not feeling um, <laughs> It's actually funny because I have this quote from 
John, because they covered more Chuck Berry songs than any other artist. And John said, quote, if they want things like Sally and Beethoven, we can do that standing on our ears. I don't know if you can, John. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that at all. It sounded like they were doing that standing on their ears. <laughs> True. Standing on our ears. What the hell? <laughs> uh, Rollover Beethoven was written by Chuck Berry. <laughs> don't know yeah, if you no knew. Shit. Uh, recorded by him in 1956. It was partially inspired by Barry's sister, who was classically trained in contrast to his own sort of self-taught rock and roll style. They were always fighting over the piano. Um, This is not a great cover. (laughs) No, not not phenomenal. But uh, Rollover Beethoven was obviously this sort of, you know, rallying cry for the new rock and roll sound and, you know, just just, uh, thinking about how this, like, applies to the Beatles killing JFK. <laughs> yeah. You know, roll over Beethoven, like, oh. like, you know, these, these, um, the, these institutional figures rolling over in their grave. It's, you know, like they're trying to upset the system in a way. Yeah. They're engaging in carefully targeted political terrorism, I suppose. <laughs> One could say. What this is saying to me is that's the first layer of the Beatles riddle is that, we're meant to think that, in fact, they're counterculture, but a uh, mm. second look says that uh, maybe they're in league with the man himself. Interesting, oh, man. Interesting. They're they're with the the deep state conspiring to kill JFK. Any thoughts on that? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not too sure because they were Beatles deep state. They were certainly, you know, rascals on the run from the law in their in their olden days. But it's certainly possible that, you know, U.S. intelligence could have picked them up as an asset. Maybe as as part of a deal mm. to get out from under the German law mm. or a, some such. A bargain. Let's let's keep that in mind. Yeah. One thing I like is on the third verse, it sounds like he's saying, I need a shot of rhythm or blues. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I guess, uh, you know, they rarely have both, these folks. So, um... <laughs> it's true. Yeah. The next track is called Hold Me Tight. You know, they really are straining each muscle and sinew on this record. <laughs> Really are just yelling through that one, <laughs> yeah. chugging along like a train. Yeah, they, 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 they. It seems like they're struggling. They're chugling. They're, they're chugling. Yeah, they keep on chugling. I mean, they finally moved on from kissing to uh, making love. So it, it's it's a it's a perhaps they've become men. Ah, oh. Beatles to men. I like the uh, this this couplet here. Hold me tight, let me go on loving you. <laughs> tonight, tonight, making love to only you. <laughs> I, I, I just think, oh, yeah, I just think, let me go on loving you. It's <laughs> pretty funny. Yeah, it's pretty good. Let me carry on. Don't stop me. Somebody stop me. <laughs> Somebody stop me. This was uh, one of the few older songs they still had lined on McCartney Road. 1961 they attempted to record it for their first album please please me but the 13 takes were deemed unsatisfactory and the tape was destroyed (laughs) and the tape was destroyed as well oh it was that i think they didn't even 
They didn't even want to release any of these takes. They were doing them as like a meditative exercise. <laughs> yeah. The dark ritual that they were doing. Right. Just, when they got in the studio. 13 takes, 9 11. The, the, these numbers are, you know, coming Those together. They're adding up. Paul also describes this song as album filler. Yeah. Yeah. And John's accurately, I should say. John said, quote, that was Paul's. It was a pretty poor song, and I was never really interested in it. <laughs> The girls are fighting. <laughs> the girls are fighting. John, John loves to shit on these Paul songs in the later interviews. The song is also uh, held in low regard by music critics. Uh, Rolling Stone's Rob Sheffield described it as, quote, horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the people with ears could be really hated this one. Yeah. <laughs> Just sort of, uh, like I said, straining each muscle and sinew. Um, the way they beetled them. They really, the way they beetled this one is a real. <laughs> I don't know about beetled. Uh, it's more like brutalized. Oh! Oh, they beetalized it. Oh! They ought to be penalized for it. <laughs> um, hey. Only tight was a failed attempt at a single, which then became an acceptable album filler. <laughs> that's yeah. what that's what Paul that says. Seems like most of these. That's like <laughs> most of the songs on this album. Yeah, it seems like an album full of filler sort of makes sense they just filled it yeah and it's interesting how like i said they put out i want to hold your hand a week later <laughs> so like it feels like they were just pushing this out huh. the next song is you've really got a hold on oh god yeah Holding, huh? <laughs> oh no nope. i think i dozed off halfway through that yeah no good that one <laughs> the like the the covers on this record seem to just like get worse um yeah this one is like there's a steady progression because they're they're still straining but it's such a slow song that it, it, it like fits that style even worse man that's miserable that's pretty Swaggles. bad <laughs> belabored yeah uh obviously written by Smokey robinson uh first top 10 hit for the miracles um unlike many previous beatles songs this one was recorded in bits and pieces uh, they did 11 takes, only four of which were complete, and spliced together three of those finished takes into the finished song. Baffling? Okay. <laughs> yeah, strange, strange stuff there. Um, but yeah, this one just sucks. Yeah, that's most of what there is to say about it, I think. Yeah, I do want to hit on what, what, what Leon's talking about with how the first record we're talking about, You'll Never Know How Much I Love You, it's all very separate, and then this record starts with talking about uh, kissing, and then moves into holding. Holding. <laughs> and holding tighter. That was disgusting. The Beatles' greasy grip on society. Yeah. Yeah, just sort of miserable. <laughs> yeah, the first the first three tracks on this album were not that bad. I feel like I, I, I over-dogged uh, them. But, but seeing where, where the rest of this album goes, I feel the need to say that. Uh, the next song is called I Want to Be Your Man. The vibe right out of the gate, it feels, again, like a song that would have been conceived as a single, and then they finished it, and they were like, that's not great, let's just put it on the album. Yeah, it's, you know, at the start of it, I was like, this sounds like a totally different set of Beatles, and then uh, they got back to that classic whiny sound. Sure. Well, well, this is uh, Ringo on vocal, that's probably why. Yeah. You know, it was refreshing, and then they went back. Virtually Mm -hmm. indistinguishable from one another, their voices. It's true. (laughs) They are pretty similar. Uh, Maybe it's just the recording style. Uh, There are conflicting reports about how the song was written. Mm -hmm. 
Paul says that uh, he and John were writing it together with Ringo in mind. However, John uh, shares this anecdote. Uh, We were taken down to meet the Stones at the club where they were playing in Richmond by Brian and some other guy. They wanted a song, and we went to see them to see what kind of stuff they did. Mick and Keith had heard that we had an unfinished song. Paul just had this bit, and we needed another verse or something. We sort of played it roughly to them and said, yeah, okay, that's our, our style. And they said, yeah, okay, that's our style. So Paul and I just went off in the corner of the room and finished the song off while they were all still there talking. We came back. (laughs) We came back and that's how Mick and Keith got inspired to write. Because, quote, because Jesus, look at that. They just went in the corner and wrote it and came back right in front of their eyes. We did it. That sounds like they wrote it in a corner in five minutes. It does. They sure did. It was uh, initially recorded by the Stones. It was a... um, it was their first top 20 hit. Really? Yeah, I, uh, I'm interested to hear the Stones version. Mick Jagger recalled, We knew the Beatles by then, and we were rehearsing, and Andrew brought Paul and John down to the rehearsal. They said they had this tune, and they were really hustlers then. I mean, the way they used to hustle tunes was great. Hey, Mick, we've got this great song. So they played it, and we thought it sounded pretty commercial, which is what we were looking for. So we did it like... <laughs> So we did it like Elmore James or something. I haven't heard it in ages, but it must be pretty freaky because nobody really produced it. It was completely crackers, but it was a hit and it sounded great on stage. So yeah. it was bullshit and it sucked, but uh, fantastic. Well done. Well, it's completely the suckers crackers. bought it. Yeah, they, <laughs> the, the way that Jagger is like, the Beatles were really hustlers back then. They spindled us with this one. <laughs> <laughs> they really got us good. Yeah. That's that's a real a real pull quote there, um, and John's later quote on the song was it was a throwaway. The only two versions of the song were Ringo and the Rolling Stones. That shows how much importance we put on it. Holy oh, no way! They just hated this guy. <laughs> yeah, really mean. I think in perhaps a future episode we'll be able to better explore the Beatles' internal conflict. But uh, despite this, they seem to be working well together to uh, swindle and hustle these other musicians. Yeah, Yeah, we're sort of defraud their fellow Englishmen. We're sort of seeing, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, we're sort of seeing more and more. You know, John hating Paul and them all, and Paul hating George and them all hating Ringo. Like, like it's coming through the woodwork more and more. I want to be your lover. I want to be your man. That could, you know, that could be America. That could society that could be jackie <laughs> oh there's a lot of ways to could interpret that a lot of ways to interpret could be jfk that. could be jfk that's true a riddle with many answers uh, yeah as as all riddles have <laughs> um the next the next song is devil in her heart what do we think violent yes shockingly violent <laughs> pretty yeah she's gonna tear your heart apart I like the the sort of the way that like the backup singers are like a different character from the from the lead vocal. It's like a Greek chorus, yeah. Yeah, she's got the devil in her heart. No, 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 she's perfect. <laughs> she hugs me. She says she loves me so. She won't desert me. Listen, hmm. this Hugging, song is a cover. Holding, leaving, staying. Oh, oh, it's a cover. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Comparing the level of lyricism between this song, which is like still you know fun and simple, between the Beatles lyrics which are like like rhyming for babies books I don't know yeah the uh the, the like multiple perspectives on this song alone or something that like I don't think the Beatles would have come up with at this point in their Beatles careers. hive mind 
Beatles hive mind. Interesting. Uh, this was a song by an, a fairly obscure Detroit girl group, the Donnays. This is actually the last cover of a girl group that the Beatles did on record. George recalls uh, Brian uh, Epstein had like a, a, a record shop and George recalls Brian had a policy of buying at least one copy of every record that was released. If it sold, he'd order another one or five or whatever. Consequently, he had records that weren't hits in Britain, weren't even hits in America. Before going to a gig, we'd meet in the record store after it had shut and we'd search the racks like ferrets to see what new ones were there. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> scavenging creatures scavenging creatures indeed you know how ferrets are always searching they do ferret things out they ferret things out it's true and the beatles ferreted out this uh this little record so you have to wonder why this record where it fits in the album and you know who's the she who's who's got the devil in her heart that the beatles are sort of agonized over here i think it speaks to the conflicted conscience Mm. of the beatles pre-assassination maybe they're not sure Maybe they're not sure. And the fact that they're, let's say they're chasing whoever they're chasing, Jackie O or JFK or whoever. Um, yeah. they, let's say they are. <laughs> let's say they are. They're, you know, they're doing it for love. That seems to be clear from what we're seeing on the sound. They're doing it in, in pursuit of someone who they feel a, a strong affection for, something they feel a strong affection for. But they, you know, they'll have to kill someone to get it. Right. And they're, you know, may, maybe torn up about doing that even as they've you know done all these petty crimes before the idea of killing someone has maybe not entered the equation right i'm following you here and this could be a a ploy to uh convince themselves that they're that um the object of their affection uh theoretically jackie o uh is in the wrong about supporting jfk and so they have to convince themselves that she's wrong in order to get to him Mm, I like Without that feeling Ooh. guilt about hurting her, perhaps. Yes, 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 yes. The next track, there are two more tracks. The next one is called Not a Second Time. That's, that's another narratively interesting one, I think, in terms of our, yeah, in terms of our theory. That's a hint. It is a hint. Sure? Not, yeah, not a second time. What, what, what was the first time? Um, you made mm. me cry. So this could be the, you know, it, the intelligence agencies that are trying to get them to do another hit. Um, give me the same old line. You hurt me then. So this could be Jackie O as well. Um, interesting stuff. This song was uh, written by, it's one of theirs. Uh, Lennon says once again that he was, quote, trying to do Smokey Robinson or something. Or yeah. something. Or something, right? Yeah. Yeah, I can, I can taste the something. If we want to uh, pick up the pace, we can maybe just uh, go straight into the last track and do, like, overall thoughts. Yeah, let's, sure. get our, let's get our last hint. Let's get our last hint in. So this last track is Money, That's What I Want. Well, there's your answer. Yeah, the the concluding note of that album. Yeah. Shocking Why'd they do both it? both in a confessive scope and also in sound. Yeah, there's sort of a grim resolution. This is a battle cry. Yeah, it 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 sort of makes me rethink our our interpretation of the rest of the year, where I think these last couple songs are where this mission to kill JFK comes in. And up until this point it's like maybe they had like a first kill and you know they they, they were, you know, doing it for love but they were conflicted about it and now it's like, you know, this they're like you need to kill the president and they're sort of 
you know, having these, these questions about it, they've never had, you know, they're not sure if they want to do it again, but then the money ultimately drives them to do it. Yeah. Just like the riddles for teams, the answer was right in front of us all along, and it is hidden by this just unlistenable piano bog of, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there was a <laughs> there was an instrumental where I was like, what's the instrument here? Um, this is a cover of a yeah. oh god of a Motown song. Um, it was actually the first hit record for Motown, their first song to chart. It was uh, recorded by Barrett Strong in 1959. Um, Barrett Strong claimed that he also helped co-write the song. His name was included in the initial credits and then removed three years later and then put back again in 1987 and then removed again in 1988. Uh, what Barry Gordy says is that Barrett Strong was only ever included in the credits due to a clerical error. So <laughs> there's two sides to that story as well. What the fuck? The Beatles' long road of lies and deceit. Yeah, I think the the surface level thing with this song is it's an attempt to do twist and shout again and just end the album with like this this big burst of energy. Everyone's you know throats are going sore and they're screaming and hollering. Uh, it's not as successful as Twist and Shout, um, obviously. But <laughs> I think the the this sort of underlying meaning that we're talking about with the context of this record being about how they killed John Fitzgerald Kennedy and this song is is you know the the ultimate like we've bought, we've been on this whole journey but actually we did it for the money um yeah i i i think we've you know cracked this album and determined conclusively they killed JFK for the money on behalf of some some other entity that we need to figure out who who they're like hired goons for um and sort of what can i shout something out go ahead what about barry gordy's involvement in all this oh yeah all these detroit girl groups and and fucking barry gordy and these weird backroom deals with <laughs> that stones true. and gordy and the beatles that's true they they have the they have the deals with gordy they have the Barry Gordy songs that they record. They have the other Detroit songs. They have the songs where they say they're trying to do Smokey Robinson. The Barry Gordy is all over this album. And if we're thinking about uh, by whose hand or did they kill JFK, maybe Barry Gordy is someone we need to bring into the equ- the equation. By what Barry Gordy hand? Mm. No, I was going for the tiger there. <laughs> Well, uh, their next song, their next song is "I Want to Hold Your Hand." So, yeah, <laughs> it's gonna be a little bit there. And you know, the, the the JFK killing sort of preempted their popping off in America. They ultimately did like a month later. So next time we're going to be talking about Beatles popularity in the United States, and maybe the yeah. clue, and maybe the clue that we're sort of going into it with is. Has Barry Gord- are are the Beatles sort of carrying out these kills on behalf of Barry Gordy? I think, I think yes. The major clue for me on this record, the most shocking revelation of this episode is the uh, fact that they did it for the money, and they seem to be doing quite a lot of things for the money. They did it for the money. Whose money? Potentially Barry Gordy. We'll keep that in mind. Uh, thank you guys so much for joining me <laughs> on this wonderful episode of Pulp Friction. Uh, we're going to try to have a couple more of these this year. I think, you know, late April or May, we'll do another one. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think we are very close to cracking this riddle. It'll just be, you know, 10, 15, 35 more episodes and we should, 
God forbid that we get to the end of it. We're yeah. <laughs> I think God actually would forbid that. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> and to those of you who have been listening and who enjoy this series, thank you so much for listening. You can uh, subscribe or follow or rate wherever you're listening to it um, and share it with your friends. Let people know you like the show. That's one of the best things you can do. Next time we'll be talking about, we might be doing our Oscars recap next time. Stay tuned. I disagree, Gary. I disagree, Gary.